Welcome back to the Sports Forum, the latest podcast bringing you all the latest news, headlines, and analysis from around the world of sports. My name is Mike Murray. Today is January 28th, 2020, and we are back for episode number six of our early tenure. I am joined always by my good friend and co-host, Ethan Looper. Ethan, how are we tonight? Heavy heart, Mike. Heavy heart. Yeah, um, extremely heavy heart. And um, leading into that, um, we'll get into our first topic. Uh, as everybody knows by now, um, Kobe Bryant, the Laker legend and one of the greatest to ever play the game of basketball, um, was killed along with his daughter uh, Gianna in a plane crash. Or excuse me, not a plane crash, a helicopter crash. Pardon me. Um, him. And a couple of other families were on their way to an AAU tournament, I believe. And the uh, helicopter you know, spun out and crashed and caught on fire. And Kobe is no longer with us. And it was really just an absolutely tragic day. And, it's, and it still is a tragic moment um, as he was one of the, not, not only one of the best players to ever play the game of basketball, but he was just a good person you know, to be around. And, you know, he, he, he inspired a generation of basketball players, a lot of whom you're seeing play on a nightly basis now. And um, just really, a really, really sad day for the sports world. So, Ethan, we'll, uh, we'll start with you. We'll get your thoughts on, on, on that. Kobe was more than a basketball player. He represented his whole Mamba mentality thing was inspirational to an entire generation, multiple generations. Uh, he, the Mamba mentality, the, the philosophy behind it was really that if you are willing to put the work in and you don't fold under pressure, you can accomplish anything and Kobe really exemplified that I mean obviously his NBA career doesn't need to be advertised or spoken for especially now like his accolades have been everywhere for the past few days but then he retired he has been a great father to four girls he won an Oscar for a short film that went to the script where he was commentating or narrating a retirement letter. And he just proved that you can do anything when you put the time and the effort into it. But I still, honestly, I... I I'm not going to compare the you know, the sadness or the, the heartbreak, but for me, the part that stings is the loss of Gianna. Kobe, he did a lot. He, he lived a full 41 years of life, and he, he accomplished so much. But Gianna was only 13 Gigi, they called her 
he had so much potential. And the situation, to me, I can kind of rest easy at night knowing that we can celebrate Kobe's life and his accomplishments. But in the, in the case of, of Gianna, there's only like loss and only mourn her death. Yeah. Um, all of that was beautifully said. Um, I couldn't agree more with everything. Um, you know, like you said, he was, he was more than basketball and he was, and and he inspired an entire generation of of players and players that you're that you're going to see you know right now and you're going to see five years down the road. Um, I think in in the in numerous amount of of tweets that I was reading and videos and tributes and et cetera, et cetera. One of the best ones that I read was. You know the uh, I can't I can't remember who actually tweeted it, but they basically said you know he's not really you know he he's gone, but he's not really gone because he's in you know he's he's Devin Booker's post up game, he's Demar Derozan's footwork, he's Kyrie Irving's ability to go one on five and clear out, he's LeBron's leadership, he's Luka Doncic, he's Trey Young, he's all those you know he 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 inspired those guys to become what they are today. And, you know, he might not be with us physically anymore, but he will always, always, his legacy will never, ever, ever be forgotten. And I think another great thing that I read that, you know, really, because the thing with, you know, with guys like me and you, you know, when we were growing up, when he was really in his heyday, you know, we were still very, very young and we really didn't yet have a concept of the world of sports like we do now. So a lot of it for us is retrospect, you know, looking back on the really, really prime Kobe years. And one of the things that stood out to me and that I also read, um, you know, on Twitter was he, he had this way of balancing the game in a way because he knew that everybody in the arena was there to see him. You know, I mean, I mean, this is a guy that got MVP chant at the TD Garden in Boston, you know, the, 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 the Lakers biggest rival. So he, he knew he was the star of the show, and he treated the game that way. But at the same time, like you said, he had Mamba mentality. And, you know, everyone you know everyone not on his team was the enemy, and he was out to get you, and he was going to try and outwork you and outplay you in every step of the way. So it, it, it's just it, – it's a t- and like you said, the loss in Gianna hurts even more um, because she had – eons of potential and she showed a lot of her her dad in her game you know from the few few highlights that i've seen and um you know our thoughts go out to his family and the families of everyone else uh, affected because you know there were other people aboard and um in fact one of them was a uh was a college baseball coach from california um who passed away so Thoughts go to their team, to his family. Um, j- just an absolutely tragic event. But just to, to to kind of finish up on Kobe, you know, he's not he's he's not with us physically, but he, you know, his legacy is going to live on 
forever and ever, and he's going to keep even 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 though he's no longer on Earth, he's going to continue to inspire generations of basketball players. And and I really think the NBA is going to decide to retire his number or one of his numbers you know, uh, throughout the league. I know the Mavericks have already done it. Um, I think more teams are going to end up doing it. Um, yeah, I, I, his, his, his legacy that he left here, the impact he had is going to be continued to be felt for a very long time. And just a, a sad, sad event. Um, and our thoughts are with everyone affected. So, you know, in, in hearing that news, we, Ethan and I, we, we were mulling over the fact of making this just a giant tribute to Kobe Bryant. But we figured that every one of you listening has, you know, seen all the tweets, heard, watched all the tributes, you know, probably rewatched his 60-point game last night that they played on ESPN. Um, you know, they heard all that, so we didn't really want to beat a dead horse. Um, so... That's all we're. That's all we're gonna have to say about the Kobe situation. Um, so moving on now, uh, we'll switch over to the world of baseball, and the rumors are back swirling again around the Red Sox star outfielder Mookie Betts. Um, this has really been like a seesaw battle um, that's kind of gone back and forth the entire winter. Where it's been, you know, they're going to trade him, they're going to keep him, they're going to trade him, they're going to keep him, and now it seems, according to John Heyman, that they are the Red Sox are more serious than ever in trading him. So, you know, with that comes the speculations, comes the rumors. So, um, I know you have a trade written up, and we're going to get right into it. Um, so the two teams that have been the most talked about for a bet steal are the Dodgers and the Padres. And Ethan, I believe your trade involves the Los Angeles Dodgers. So let's hear it. What do you got? Let's hear your thoughts on the Mookie Bet situation as a whole. So the Red Sox are looking to move Mookie, obviously. I still don't really understand the intrigue in wanting to move Mookie Betts, but if they're that committed to getting below the tax and developing the farm system, all the more power to the Boston Red Sox. So the trade, the way it's always kind of been constructed is with want to move Mookie and get David Price's contract off the books. And they would want to get back two major leaguers, I'm assuming to replace bets in price, and two top prospects at the very minimum. So what I drew up is obviously the Red Sox give Mookie Betts and David Price to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This would put them at, I believe, $167 million, well below the $208 luxury tax, $208 million luxury tax before their return. So I have the Dodgers giving them Jock Peterson, Alex Wood, 
their number three prospect, who's the number 33 overall prospect in baseball, Keith the catcher. Their number four prospect is the number 75 overall prospect in Major League Baseball, right-handed pitcher Josiah Gray, and the Dodgers' number 25 prospect, Robinson Ortiz, left-handed pitcher. This would put the Dodgers at $225 million from their current 178 of So it wouldn't put the Dodgers over the luxury tax, but I don't think the Dodgers would really care that much because they're the far and away favorites for the NL. And they're, they're pushing for a World Series. The Padres look like a big threat to them right now, so all the sweeter that they can deny the Padres the chance to get Mookie Betts. And David Price, who's still a very competent starter. So, all said and done, I believe the Red Sox would be at 170 to 80 million range in payroll. And the Dodgers would end up, as I said, at two 25 or thereabouts. So I'm just going to go into kind of prospects because they're not, you know, the prospects not very well known. Uh, so Kiebe Ruiz, catcher, as I said, number 33 overall prospect in baseball. He's expected to reach the majors this year. He's 21. So Kiebe Ruiz is a switch hitter who is considered very athletic for a catcher. He's not a massive power hitter, but he can get the bat on the baseball. Uh, he has some untapped power potential, but according to MLB.com, their, pro- their prospect tracker, he has an upside of around 15 to 20 homers a year. Obviously, that doesn't account for him potentially hitting at Fenway someday, so that number could jump with Monster being so short. He's a good defender already, but he can grow behind plate with more consistent reception of the baseball and So that's kind of the report on Pierre Ruiz. Josiah Gray. His ETA in the majors is 2021. He's the number 75 overall prospect in baseball. Engine, he's 22. So his fastball is up out at 97, and they say having starting right now, and his he maintains his velocity deep into his starts, which is a really good sign for a starter, a starting pitching prospect. He still has he has a slider, a curve, and a changeup, all of which show promise but still need to be developed. That's why you have his ETA in 2021. He could use about a year and a half to really develop his off-speed pitches. So he projects as a mid-rotation starter, probably could go higher than that, like a, a front-line guy, number two if he really develops those off 
eat pitches and command them. But if he doesn't take the step forward that he probably could, his floor seems to be a, a power bullpen arm, which he's a righty. There's not exactly a shortage of those, but they're always an asset, especially when you can get him in arbitration and don't really have to pay him very much for a while. So he'd be an asset. And so would Robinson Ortiz, who is even broader yet. He's a lower-level prospect for sure within the organization. He's their 25th-ranked prospect. He'd be a bit of a throw-in in a project. He's expected in 2022, but he's only 20. So he has time. His fastball drops, uh, excuse me, tops at 95 miles an hour right now with some running action on it. And off of that 95 miles an hour, mile an hour fastball with the action, he has a very good changeup. So that's a nice two pitch repertoire. Along with his curveball, which he's developed, but the report is he needs to add power onto it to really make it snap. So they say he has a really high floor, but his ceiling isn't as high as some other pitch prospects. They're saying they're pretty confident he's going to be a good number four starter in the league. So overall, if you have your director of the future, a guy who could end up being either a, a mid to top tier starter or, or an important arm in the back of the bullpen, along with a guy who we're pretty sure is going to pan out as a major league starting pitcher as the kind of throw-in of the return, I think that would be a pretty solid day for the Red Sox, along with getting below the cap. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I agree 100%. I think the way, you know, the structure of that deal that you, you drew up um, is exactly something that, you know, you, you're going to see happen if this trade does go through. Um couple things. I mean, A, first of all, as a, you know, diehard baseball fan, this is, of course, intriguing to me because it's a, you know, it's a, it's Mookie Betts. He's a, one of the best players in, in the game right now. But as a Red Sox fan, it, you know, it, I'm, of course, I'm, of course, invested in it a little bit more because it's my team. So I, you know, I, I have a, a sense of what I think the Red Sox need. And I, 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 I honestly wouldn't see them. I wouldn't see them getting. I wouldn't see them wanting a catcher in return because right now, because right now they have Christian Vasquez. He's behind the plate, and with Sandy Leone out in, in Cleveland now, I don't think Vasquez is going anywhere, and he shouldn't because he's proven that he can. You know, he he's developed a, a good rapport with all the guys on the staff. He's shown the ability to hit the ball, and he can shoot down runners at second. So I. I I, and believe me, I, I am not saying that 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 um, that a catching prospect would not be involved in a deal. But I think there's a probably a greater chance the Red Sox are looking elsewhere in terms of that in terms of other positions. Another thing that you mentioned, E, that I thought I kind of struck me was, you know, you mentioned um, I forget I forget his name already. Who was the 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 right-handed pitcher who's probably going to end up being in the bullpen? Josiah Gray. Josiah Gray. So, you know, you mentioned he's a right-handed pitcher. He's a reliever. And 
you know, since he's righty, they're not much of an they're you know they're they're a dime a dozen. But you have to remember now in the MLB we have a three batter rule. So the days of a lefty specialist who comes in and faces the lefty and gets him out and then comes out of the game are over. So now it, it, it when it comes to teams and their bullpens, it's gonna it's gonna come down to who can get three guys out because they have to, you know because because we have this rule. So now it you know whether or not you can get lefties or righties out doesn't matter. You just have to be able to get outs. So I think for a guy like for a guy like him, you know, a right-handed pitcher who would normally be seen as an asset, but not not as much of an asset in most cases, suddenly could get a bump up the ladder because now, you know, because now if a team can trust him to go get three outs, that's a lot more valuable to an MLB organization who's going to have to put him out there for three batters. So to go off that, um, Ethan, of course, discussed the deal with the Padres, or excuse me, with the Dodgers. I didn't actually draw up a, a physical trade, but um, I looked into the, the the Padres and a deal the Red Sox can make there. And I think it's important to when you look at these two teams. You got the Padres and the Dodgers. The Dodgers have consistently had one of the highest payrolls in the MLB. They're not afraid to spend money, and they're pretty sick and tired of getting to the postseason and to the World Series and losing. So you know they're all. They're they're not afraid to give them some prospects. They they're sick of coming in second. You know they want to win right now. When you look at the Padres, the Padres, the Padres have something going here. You know they got Hosmer, the veteran guy, at first to build around. They got Machado at third. They have Tatis at short. In the outfield, you know Will Myers is. Eh. You know they got Manuel Margot in center. They got some prospects coming up. So this is a team that theoretically can contend right now for maybe a second wild card or a wild card spot in the NL because they're talented and they have a lot of young pitching that can get the job done for them. So do they really need to make this move? No, and they have to be very careful when they do because if you make a bold, brash move and you give up too much, you just hurt your future and the possibility of really contending in three to four years. But if the Padres front office guys are sitting there and going, hey, you know, we want to go in, we want to go all in right now, okay, then you make this deal. So if this deal with the Padres was to go through, I think it's very um, I, I think it's been pretty obvious to most people now that Will Myers would be the first major league piece involved. And I think that would work because I mean, obviously, if the Red Sox trade Mookie Betts, they're gonna need a uh, an outfielder, and that's Will Myers. Will Myers is a right fielder, so it works. You know, he would obviously be a placeholder for the time being, and then you know we'd see what happened in terms of the farm system and et cetera, et cetera. The other guy, I guess, I could see them maybe getting is like is a because, like you said, and it's been noted, of course, that the Red Sox are of course looking to get rid of Price. So if you throw bets and Price in there, you get Will Myers, and I could see a Joey Lucchese. Who's a left-handed pitcher? He's in there. He's a low-level, you know, four-five starter for them right now. He doesn't really overwhelm you, overwhelm you with velocity, but he has some, you know, pretty effective off-speed stuff. I could see him. I would really like if maybe a Zach Davies was thrown in there. Zach Davies is also um, a right-handed pitcher. He's formerly with Milwaukee, and. Excuse me. Um, formerly, formerly with Milwaukee, he was ten and seven last year. He um, 
big curveball guy. Got a lot of break on that. Um, so he'd be, he'd be a guy that I could really see the Red Sox plugging into their rotation and finding success right away. And then you go down to the farm system, and one of the guys that's always stuck out to me was a guy by the name of Taylor Trammell. He's right now the number three prospect in the um, Padres organization. Um I do not have his ranking in the MLB system, um, but he's 22 years old. Um, his ETA is 2021. 20, um, you know, last season only hit 230, um, but he's always been the 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 the, the excuse me the two his two uh, positives I should say. Sorry, I was looking for the word there. His two positives have always been his athleticism, just his pure athleticism, and his recognition of the strike zone. Um, he's very, you know, he has, um, you know, he's very perceptive at the plate. You know, he knows ball from strike. Very patient hitter. And obviously in today's game, you know, with strikeouts being so high, a guy like that can be very valuable. So, I, you know, I could see them piecing Trammell in this deal with a Will Myers, because then, you know, you put Will Myers in right, he's out there for a little bit. Maybe he gets a little extra production now because he's playing in Fenway Park with the Green Monster, big right-handed hitter. You develop Trammell, he steps in there in three, four years. Another guy I could see is their number one prospect, Mackenzie Gore. He's a left-handed pitcher. Um, His ETA is 20-20. He's in double-A right now. Um, He featured a... 36% 36% strikeout rate last season and a 161 batting average against. He's got a four-pitch mix, and they're projecting him to be a top-of-the-rotation type of arm. Now, I think it'd be very, very, very rare, or I shouldn't say rare, unlikely that you see Gore and Trammell go in the same deal. I think that would be an absolute slam dunk for the Red Sox if the Padres were to offer it along with those two other guys, those two other major league guys. But, you know, the Padres still have developed, you know, as we know, they have a very, very developed farm system. Maybe they go to a guy like Xavier Edwards. You know, he's not estimated till 2022. He's a second baseman. He's hitting three 322 right now in, in uh, high A ball. You know, slugging 393, which is, you know, not the greatest, but for a middle infielder, you know, that – that that's a very respectable number, and he stole 34 bases. And as we know with the Red Sox, you know, Pedroia had another setback with his knee. He's, I mean, I would imagine going to retire. They got Jose Peraza in there right now, who seems like a placeholder. They have Michael Chavis, but as we know, you know, first base is going to be a hole for them in another year. So maybe you move Chavis over. So there's a lot of options that the Red Sox can explore with this deal. And I think they have their pick of the litter with the Padres farm system because the Padres have developed so many guys in that system right now. And there's guys there that are kind of, you know, waiting their turn. And if you think about it from a Padres standpoint, a guy like Xavier Edwards, who's a second base shortstop type, when is he going to get his shot now with, with Fernando Tatis Jr.? So you ha- you know you have to consider all that if you're the Padres, and you have to consider all that if you're the Red Sox. And like I said, if you're the Padres, you can't, you know, you don't want to rush into something brash because, like I've said, they have a very, very, very potent farm system. And if you hurt that, 
and then you're gonna and then you're gonna have to end up paying David Price the rest of his contract, and maybe try and pay Mookie Betts a big contract. All of a sudden, your future there, there's a giant dent in your future. So I think when you look at these two teams back, you know, compared, it it it's a very different dynamic between what each team, you know, the state of their team and and, and their philosophy. But I think for the Red Sox, if 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 your if if your team thinks you know if 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 Hein Bloom and his team thinks that the prospects are going to pan out, and that you know the MLB guys can can stick in can can stay and or and, sorry can 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 jump into that lineup and make a difference or and make a difference and keep them competitive, I would absolutely make the deal because it would be I because you don't want to see the Red Sox go. You know, another, have another eighty-eight and seventy-four year, miss the playoffs, and then just lose him to free agency. I'd rather see them make a trade, maybe get some guys, try and really compete, and maybe, just maybe, make another World Series run. So, the, 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 there's a there's a lot of options that Heim Bloom and his guys in Boston need to explore, and I know that they're going to do their due diligence, and I know that at the end of the day. The right decision is going to be made in Boston, but it's going to be very interesting to see how it all pans out. And when, if if a deal is made, I will be right here on the pod telling you how much I hate it or how much I love it. So, with that, we kind of wrap up the Mookie Betts rumors, um, kind of our thoughts and ideas on on some guys that could be involved in that. Um, let's go over to the NFL, Ethan. A um, couple of storylines that have emerged. Um, a couple of days ago, the Los Angeles Chargers announced that they are finally, or I shouldn't say finally, but they are moving on from Phillip Rivers as their quarterback. Um, your thoughts on that? I have some mixed feelings about it. Watching Phillip Rivers come up through my childhood. I've never known another quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers other than Phillip Rivers. I mean, it's it's and it, his close kind of career connection with Eli Manning. Have you, them having been drafted in the same year by the Giants and Chargers, them being traded for each other. So it's a little weird to see Eli retired as a Giants fan and now Phil Rivers potentially going somewhere else or retiring himself. Don't really have word on that yet. But for the Chargers, it does seem like it's time to try something else. But that is a team that now you have some pieces that can make playoffs and make some noise. But you need a quarterback. So they have the sixth pick in the draft this year. And I'm looking at some guys. I mean, Burrow has been heavily connected to the Bengals. I don't think that's going to change. I think he's going first. He's going to the Bengals. And then you see there's two left on the board. There's Justin Herbert. There's Jordan Love. And those are the guys you can kind of have to around buzz. Sounding. So, Tua 
has been heavily connected to the Dolphins throughout the process, even going back to a couple of years ago with the Tank for Tua campaigns. But his injury this year put a big question mark over his draft stock. So now I think the question is, would Tua be ready for the, the season? Would he come back this year? His agent is insisting that he'll be ready, but <laughs> obviously that's not the most maybe reliable medical source given the vested interest he has in Tua's draft stock. But if they find he's ready and he'll be good for the season, I don't see him making it to six because the Dolphins would probably scoop him at five or some team would trade up. So I think the, the two situations I could see for the Chargers would be either they would have to trade up for Tua or they would take Justin Herbert, who really separated himself from Jordan Love at the Senior Bowl. So I think there's a very clear one, two, three. I, I do believe Burrow is firmly at the top, but based on Tua's injury, he would be the, the pretty consensus number two, I believe, even maybe over Burrow at number one. But the, the injury really brought that discrepancy in. And now it's it's going to be finding out what to his status is, and if if he can throw, really comparing him to Justin Herbert and who teams like better. But I think Justin Herbert would be a great match for the Chargers. Herbert has a plus arm, has always been a very hot, like ranked prospect coming out of high school. He is a natural leader, even though he doesn't talk much. He's kind of unstated. And he would stay on the West Coast, uh, coming down from Oregon right to L.A. would be a perfect transition for him, I think. And he'd be in a situation, he's a pretty polished quarterback, considering we have a lot of these guys out of the air race, they need a year or two to develop. Herbert, I think, out of the box is going to be a probably productive quarterback and uh, be able to bring a playoff-caliber roster to the playoffs and, and maybe make some noise depending on how he transitions. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you made a lot of great points there. And one of the first things that kind of came to my head when I kind of really sat down to think about you know, the Chargers in their situation was, well, what if they took a year and just tanked it away and and went all in next year on Trevor Lawrence? But I think when you look at this roster, there's just too many guys there to do that. You know, that I mean, that would be an absolute waste of a year of Keenan Allen's career, of Melvin Gordon, of Joey Bosa, of all those guys. So I, I don't think that's a very... You know, uh, I, I don't think that's a very doable situation for them. Um, I, I really think this is just going to come down to that number five pick and what the Miami Dolphins do. Because could the Miami Dolphins 
say, you know, okay, we're a little skeptical on Tua, and we have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is by no means going to take us anywhere near the Super Bowl or the playoffs, but he's going to keep us competitive. Do we? Do we? Excuse me. Do we do another year with him, and then see if we can maybe trade up or maybe get the number one pick and get Trevor Lawrence? Who knows? So I really think it's going to come down to that number five pick and what the Dolphins do, and if the Dolphins do, in fact, take Tua, which I believe they're going to, I think the Chargers would end up taking Herbert because, like I said, it's it's just too much. There's just too much talent on this team right now to waste a year of those guys' careers. But the other thing to note about the Chargers is they play in the same division as the Chiefs, and I don't envision the Chiefs losing that division any time soon. So... You know, you're already looking at competing for a wild card spot. So, you know, like I said, there's a lot of factors to take in there. So, you know, I'll ask you: do you do you envision a situation where maybe the Miami Dolphins don't take Tua Tagovailoa? I was going to try and say his last name, but there's no point. Don't take Tua. Maybe take one more year, and then next year go all in on Trevor Lawrence. I would love to see that out of the Dolphins. Personally, I think that would be the best move. They have three, I believe, first-round picks this year. Yeah, they do. They have their own pick. They've got a Texans pick, which they got for Laramie Tunsil. And they have the Steelers pick, which they got for Minka Fitzpatrick. So you can really, in the first round, reload that roster with a ton of talent. And then maybe try to tank next year or and then come back and and take your guy if you get Trevor Lawrence and then you really have something going on. So they have that number five pick. Chase Young's gonna be gone, but kinda of from there there are a lot of talented prospects that with a ton of quarterbacks probably going early no matter what. I would like to see them get some other other guys that might split. Your your Jeff Okudas, the corner from Ohio State. Derek Brown is a really talented D lineman from Auburn. Isaiah Simmons is an absolute Swiss Army knife on defense from Clemson. CD Lamb is a wide receiver from Oklahoma. Jerry Judy is debatably also the top wide receiver on the board from Alabama. There are some offensive linemen, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, and Thomas from Georgia. There are just so many talented players. It's such a deep class that if you're the Dolphins, I think you really should look at building an overall solid base for the future and then getting your quarterback next year when you think you can snag Trevor Lawrence because he's he's going to be one of the most highly regarded quarterback prospects anyway. So right. you can put a right. serious roster, yeah, around Trevor Lawrence, and then you can start making a serious run because what we've seen is these teams that have quarterbacks in the rookie contract, that is a great window for you to compete. Like Russell Wilson, on his early days with the 
Hawks. They had the run game with Marshawn Lynch. They had him for super cheap so they could pay an absolutely loaded defense. And they made, they were, they were almost in the Super Bowl, I think, like three or four times in a row. Like they were almost back-to-back champions, if not for the Malcolm Butler play. And they had another couple of years where they were real close. When they had to pay Russell Wilson, they had some rebuilding to do and some restructuring. So they had a couple of down years and had to really rebuild the roster around Russell Wilson. So I think that with all the talent in year's draft, especially at the top in the first round, you have to, if you're the Dolphins, just build as many, just get as many people, just take off the top of your board in the first round and and really try to get Trevor Lawrence next year. I think that's the moves. Yeah, and I, you know, and I actually, you know, you mentioned the, the other picks they have in the first round. I forgot that they had them. So now, you know, now that I'm thinking about that, you know, like you said, if they... If, if if they use those three picks for skill position guys or defensive guys, and they hit on those on all three of those picks, that's going to bolster your roster so much. Then maybe next year, even if I don't go like even if I don't go one in fifteen and get the first overall pick, maybe now because of this draft, my roster I'm in a comfortable situation where maybe I can trade for that first pick. And get Trevor yeah, Lawrence that way. Get up the farm. If you have if you have that many young guys who are only going to be in their second year, you could absolutely trade the farm a couple firsts, second for that year. Your options having a talented roster with a lot of guys on rookie deals just opens up so many options. And I, I think that's a really underrated or not talked about aspect of the NFL and roster building is you want young obviously you want good young players in any sport but having good players who are still on their rookie contract is what can give you a ton of flexibility in how you build your roster and go about maintaining it so that would be the number one play I think for the Dolphins yeah, so I, I, I agree with you, and it's going to be very, very, very interesting to, to see what happens at, that, at those five and six picks in this year's draft. And, of course, as the time gets closer, we're still a long ways away. Um, we will, of course, have our own mock drafts and analysis on that. But sticking now to the present, um, let's go... Actually, let's quickly go back to the MLB. There was a couple, a couple other of deals that I wanted to discuss quickly. Um, the Pittsburgh Pirates traded Starling Marte, um, who was pretty much the last very notable player on the Pirates' left, um, traded him to the Arizona Diamondbacks for two very low-level prospects um, the other day. And then... The Cincinnati Reds signed Nick Castellanos, who had been on the Cubs um, after getting acquired at the deadline of last season. Um, He was one of the last big bats available in the free agent market. But I actually, you know, right before we started recording, I I looked at these two teams. I I looked at their, you know, the the uh, the depth chart um, 
now that they have these players. And I really think that these moves, A, bolster the rosters of both teams involved. And I think that this is going to add even more competitiveness to an already extremely competitive National League. So real quick, you know, you look at the Diamondbacks now. You have Carson Kelly um, behind the dish who, you know, kind of quietly posted an, an, an OPS over 800, which isn't nothing – which is, is, is not mind-blowing, but it's, but it's nothing to sneeze at either. You have Christian Walker at first who's got sneaky power. You have Cattell Marte who emerged as one of the best hitters, one of the best overall players in the National League last season. Eduardo Escobar's at third, Nick Ahmed's at short, and then your outfield, you got David Peralta, who we know can swing it, Marte in center, and Cole Calhoun in right. Now, Cole Calhoun's not going to hit, you know, 400 for you, he's, he's, he's going to hit 230, but he's going to hit some home runs. And the rotation, you got Madison Bumgarner, who we know they signed, Robbie Ray, Mike Leake, Luke Weaver, and Merrill Kelly. So, you know... Could they, you know, could they use some more help at the bottom of that rotation? Yes, but that—that's a team that can be a sneaky candidate, that can be a dark horse for a wild card spot because you know that you know they're 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 not going to compete with the Dodgers for the West Crown, but they can compete. I I I think this is a team that can compete for a wild card spot right now, and if they are to go out at the deadline or maybe this off season. And get another, maybe another back of the rotation starter or bolster that bullpen. I could see this. I could see them making a little run, and the same goes for Cincinnati. So you throw Castellanos in that lineup now with with Jesse Winker, who we know can hit it, Joey Votto, Mike Mustakis at second, Eugenio Suarez, who hit north of 35 home runs last season. You got Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer, um, and Wade Miley. Who they um, signed this offseason as well in the bull, er, in the rotation along with Sonny Gray, you know. Th- I mean, there's another team in the NL Central aside from the Pirates is going to be extremely competitive because the Cubs are the Cubs, the Brewers are going to be there, the Reds are now going to be there, and oh my goodness, who's the fourth? And and then the Cardinals, of course. Duh, the Cardinals are up there as well. That's going to be an extremely competitive division. So maybe the Reds can sneak in there and and take that home and and. And 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 excuse me, and maybe they can compete as well for a wild card spot. So just a, a couple of moves that I think maybe that of course got reported and all that, but maybe really when you really look in depth at the teams that acquired these players, really bolsters their lineup and their case for a wild card spot, and in the Reds' case especially, a potential division crown. So just wanted to touch on that briefly. Let's go now to the NBA. And um, in the midst of, of course, the passing of Kobe Bryant and the tragedy, um, we also had a, um, a positive last week, and that was the debut of Zion Williamson. It was the moment we've all been waiting for, and we finally got it. He debuted on January 22nd against the Spurs, and it was it was quite mind-boggling. He was being pretty much shut down the whole game, and he went on a... In the fourth quarter, he went on a, a 12, 15-point scoring run by himself. He had four consecutive threes, and the Pelicans end up losing that game. But it just showed you, you know, the potential that this guy has. So, Ethan, we'll, we'll go over to you. Your, your thoughts on the debut and the future for Zion and for the Pelicans in general. So, 
obviously, I'm a student at LSU. All my friends down here are Pels fans. I've watched so many, so much of the Pels this season. Uh, I'm a natural Nets fan, but I think I'm kind of picking up a secondary fandom of uh, of the Pelicans and, uh, at just the right time. Uh, but Zion has been unbelievable on the floor. He is just that, that arena. You can see it. You can feel it through the TV. It's just different. It's electric when he is on the floor. No matter what happens, he misses a free throw. You hear like a buzz throughout the stadium that you don't hear like in, in a normal moment usually in the Smoothie King Center. So he's just the rejuvenation of the Pelicans. You, you feel bad for that franchise throughout the past couple of years because of the whole AD saga and not being able to really put pieces around him or compete. But I think trading him to the Lakers, letting him contend for a title, and getting the kind of pieces young got back you know, B.I.'s been an all-star caliber player this year. Lonzo looks like a young Jason Kidd. Like, that's his ceiling. And Josh Hart is one of the most pitbull hustle guys that I, I see in the league today. And then just putting Zion in the middle of that it is, is crazy. That he's got 58 points in 66 minutes so far. He's hit four of his six threes. I know all four of them were made in one game, but still, the only little concern I have so far is his free throws. He's six of 16 for 33. 7.5% from the line, which is obviously abysmal. Yep. And it's not just, it's, it's not the fact that they're, they're not going in, but the shot doesn't look good. He doesn't put nearly enough art on it. Yeah. It's, it looks line drive, but yep. hitting the rim is bouncing around. So it's a little bit concerning, especially considering how much he's going to be fouled because of what a dominant presence he is in the post. But, so I don't want to see a Hack of Zion campaign coming like Shaq early in his career, but he's still exciting as all hell. He's, he caught a lob off an inbound the other day from uh, Lonzo. He's caught, he's caught a couple lobs from Lonzo. He's just, he's just exciting, and he puts up buckets from Everywhere on the floor, he's hitting. I mean, we all knew he could dunk, but his offensive game is advanced. I mean, he's hitting the post hook, the post fades, the little drop steps. Obviously, famously hit those four threes. I just want to see him work on his game at the line. And I don't know right now if he's out of shape or if the Pelicans medical team just won't let him play in extended kind of stints because of his rehab from his injury. But that's also been something to monitor. He really hasn't been playing more than 
five, six minutes at a time. So I don't know what to make of that again, but I've only, I've seen a ton of positive from Zion and I'm just excited to kind of buckle in for the ride here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A couple, just to kind of touch on what you mentioned about his playing time. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously the Pelicans, of course, treating this with baby steps because I, I mean, they never ever want him to miss as much time as he did this year. Um, So they're obviously going to be very cautious. And there also is, and I'm saying this as a former basketball player, um, there also is an element of just being out of shape. You know, when, when you're out that long and you finally get back to game play, you know, even though you've been rehabbing and working out prior, you know, you're still not used to that game flow and you, and you, and you do find yourself to be a little out of shape. So there's definitely some aspect of that going on as well. Um, I totally agree with the free throws. Um, I noticed that when he was playing at Duke, and while you were mentioning it, I looked it up. He was at in one year at Duke. Obviously, he was a sixty-four percent free throw shooter. And you know, like you said, that is something that he is going to have to improve because he's the kind of guy where, you know, eight times out of ten, he's going to beat you in the post, and your only option from there on out is to foul him. And that's what it was every time when he was at Duke. You know, guys would just, you know, they'd get beat, they'd hit him on the arm, and he'd go to the line. And you're exactly right. His, I, I can remember, you know, I, I remember watching him shoot free throws. Very, very, very line drive-esque free throws. Not a lot of arc whatsoever. Not a lot of shooter's touch. Which is also why he's never really developed, or to you know, up until now, never really developed a three-point game as well. He's got a very, very line drive approach to his shot. But you obviously, you know, NBA coaches, you know, and everyone else, they're going to have, they're, of course, they're going to devote some time to that because they know, of course, the immense talent he has already. And once, and if once he improves on that, you know, he's going to be basically. I mean, if, if if you think about it, if you put James Harden's free throw into Zion Williamson, you virtually have an unstoppable force. That's really the way to think about it. Now, I'm not. I'm not saying that, you know, Zion's going to turn into a Steph Curry or James Harden type free throw shooter. But even if he ups it a little bit more to where it's more consistent, I mean, there's really no telling how you know that that this guy can be stopped. He's just too much of a, an athlete and too big of a physical force. Um, and obviously, it helps the Pelicans in, in such a big way because. You know, like you mentioned, you know, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, the emergence of Brandon Ingram. Those are all guys that have been playing exceptionally well this year, but they're all perimeter guys. So to finally have a guy like Zion that you can stick in the middle of all that and use him to set picks, roll to the rim, catch alley-oops, post up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, grab rebounds, you know, that's only going to help them going forward. And I do think that we can see the Pelicans – I'm not sure if you know off the top of your head. Where do they stand right now in in the Western Conference? They are competing for that eighth playoff spot. So if, uh, I, I think last I saw, they were hovering around ninth or tenth. So uh, wait a sec. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong conference. So right the now, they're, right now. Yeah, they're 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 at the 12th slot right now. They're 18 and 29. The Grizzlies have the eight, 
they're 22 and 24. So there's there, so there's a lot of ground to make up. You know, the Suns, Trailblazers, and Spurs are the three teams ahead of them. But I I, I can see it happening. You know, I've seen enough to uh, of Zion right now to say that I think that there is a legit chance the Pelicans can make a run at that eight seed. And I'm not saying they're going to win the title because they're going to get the eight seed. They're going to go play the Lakers, and they're probably going to lose in the first round. But you know, it, it's a very big step in the right direction, and it's such a positive for the city of New Orleans as a whole because now they can finally move on from that just dramatic, whatever you want to just show that was Anthony Davis in his last year there. So good for them, good for the Pelicans as an organization. And we know that their front office has done great things with the draft, you know, and David Griffin's ability to get picks and, you know, really, really hit on his draft picks. So, you know, who knows what's in the future for this organization as well. So the future is very, very bright for the New Orleans Pelicans, and it's going to be exciting. And it's also going to be exciting because, you know, it's just another team that's on the map that hasn't been on the map for a while. And, 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 and you like to see those stories. As, as much fun as it is to see the Celtics and the Lakers competing, it's nice to see a lower market team rise up like this and really start to, you know, have their say. So it, it's only only good good vibes ahead for the New Orleans Pelicans, and it's going to be exciting to watch couple, them going forward. Yes, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, a couple final points about uh, the Pelicans overall. Uh, we were talking about their young core, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention Sideshow Jacks. Jackson Hayes. I think is going to be a stud in a couple of years. He shows all the potential in the world, especially as a pick and roll threat and chop swatter. I think we're looking at a lankier Clint Capella in a couple of years. And uh, I've heard reports that, or, or interviews with him, that he he actually can shoot. They just wouldn't let him in college. So we'll see in a couple of years if uh, if he really develops a strap and, <laughs> and starts shooting the lights out. I'd love to see it. And the other thing with the Pelicans is you're getting to the point now where if these guys start to develop and you're, you're seeing something serious out of Alonzo, B.I., Josh Hart, Jackson Hayes, and Zion, you, you could look at them trading all those some of those AD picks for uh, a Bradley Beal or another star, which I would love to see a, a scoring, a real, another perimeter scoring threat on that team. A guy who can, especially the three, and, uh, and play defense. Absolutely, and for anyone listening that listened to last pod, we all know Ethan's infatuation with three and D guys. Um, um, and just really quick, um, you mentioned Bradley Beal in there. I think that'd be a great fit because we all know that Bradley Beal is pretty much at the end of his road with Washington. Um, he's had enough with that organization. So I, I think that'd be a great fit if you stick him in that lineup as well. So with that, um, you know, we, we were able to get to a lot, uh, through a lot today. So, um, that'll wrap up today's episode. Um, We'll be back on Thursday. Um, we'll have a full Super Bowl preview. Um, 
and any other um, any other news that pops up, um, scores, etc., etc. But full Super Bowl preview coming on Thursday as we get ready for the big game. On behalf of my co-host Ethan Looper, my name is Michael Murray, and this has been the Sports Forum.